This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, January 23rd, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. A great deal of the discernible platform of now President Donald Trump should sound familiar because much of it's also endorsed by Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. From entitlements to trade, immigration, there are striking similarities. John Samples, vice president at the Cato Institute, comments on two populist politicians. Coming up on a year and a half ago, uh, Judd Legum, he's the editor-in-chief at Think Progress, wrote a piece uh, called The Surprisingly Strong Progressive Case for Donald Trump, and then laid out a bunch of his policy positions, ones that he has been fairly consistent on. And to be quite honest, they do sound a lot like the, the platform offered by uh, Bernie Sanders and, to a lesser extent, Hillary Clinton. Well, yeah, this was discussed, uh, particularly as Bernie sort of uh, peaked in the spring uh, against Hillary. And it's certainly true that there's some things that seem to be uh, very similar. But I suspect there were very few people who were going to vote for Donald Trump or were going to vote for Bernie Sanders ended up voting for Donald Trump. Partisanship's part of that issue. Partisanship seems to have, an, in the world we live in today, an independent effect. I mean, so you took two people that had the exact same views, but one thought of themselves as a Democrat and the other a Republican, they would actually differ in their voting behavior, And I think, because of the, this sort of uh, perplexing effects of partisanship. And Trump's part of that. You know, I mean, you look at things like that are actually kind of non-negotiable differences between candidates. Trump has said, for example, that yes, God has uh, should be in at the center of our politics. Now, we may wonder whether he actually believes that, but that's true of a lot of politicians. And of course, uh, Bernie Sanders does not believe that, nor does any national Democrat. The big thing is, from our perspective, I think, is both of them share the fact that they're, as they don't think the best way forward is laissez-faire, right? Now, you can say, I would think I would say Donald Trump, he wouldn't put it this way, but you can think of him as a a right-wing communitarian, and Bernie Sanders is a left-wing communitarian. But they are oddly, I think, similar in the sense that uh, both of them think there's an elite uh, that is creating an important uh, sense of inequality that is very harsh on many Americans. Now, they do differ, I think, in the sense that uh, Bernie Sanders would say it was an economic elite that was causing all this. That's a fairly, he's fairly typical. Donald Trump has certain elements uh, from that jive with Republican orthodoxy or Republican voters in the past. But the, the odd thing is, I think he thinks the elite is economic but that it's kind of a perversion of economics, and it's mostly political. It's a political economic division. So those two things, the two positions about elites, I think, are are quite similar uh, or, or sound alike, but ultimately they're probably different because Bernie largely thinks it's an economic problem and an economic elite. Um, the other thing I think is different is Donald Trump, if you look at what has actually happened and possibly also many of his uh, proposals, for example, his view of regulation or the uh, um, EPA, a major environmental uh, regulatory agency, 
he thinks, at least plausibly, that in some second best and some policy areas, laissez-faire is actually better. It's not across the board that he's skeptical about laissez-faire. And in part, I think that makes a fair amount of sense in that regulatory agencies get captured. And you can, if you're against an elite that is kind of wrecking the country, according to Mr. Trump, then you can think of uh, regulation as being taken away and in that regard. And so a laissez-faire policy would be a better one. And actually, we think something like that, too, not, not as harshly. But on entitlements, mm-hmm. uh, on um, yes. other issues, uh, you know, he's very, he was critical of the Iraq war. He argues that he opposed it beforehand, but there's no, no evidence to support that. But, but, you know, Bernie Sanders being critical of the Iraq war, that was his heaviest cudgel against Hillary Clinton. No, that's right. And the direct statement about entitlement, entitlements. Now, there is an interesting thing. There used to be an argument about Ronald Reagan that if you looked at him, what he was, he seemed to be against big government, but what he was actually against was the great society and after, that he didn't really go after the uh, New Deal. That's a little, David Stockman did, sort of, and it didn't work. But that's kind of plausible. Trump is much more explicit about saying he wants to increase spending on both Social Security and Medicare, and that uh, Bernie Sanders agreed with that. So that's, that is a turning point where, you know, the general sense of a loss that deficits matter, the debt matters, the things Rand Paul's been talking about as a voice in the wilderness now, that's just not there with Donald Trump. Um, you know, he wants infrastructure spending. Bernie's big on that, obviously. And I think both of them are also fair trade advocates. Now, fair trade isn't – what we know what it isn't. It's not open, free trade between uh, people in different countries. And uh, the interesting other thing was immigration. I mean, Trump, obviously, that was one of his uh, big issues. But uh, remember, uh, Bernie Sanders described open borders as a uh, something co- brought up by the Koch brothers. It's and, a Koch brothers idea. That's yeah. what he called it. Yeah. And there is this weird thing about, um, in a sense, Donald Trump's a nationalist and he expresses concern about the left behind in America. And of course, Bernie Sanders is a typical Democrat in that sense that he expresses that. But neither one of them are so hot on the left behinds in the rest of the world, who, as we know, in many cases are much worse and open trade and immigration. Uh, both of those things are very valuable for them. So they ha- have this strange kind of continuity. Uh, it may be that Bernie Sanders probably would have uh, run away from that, but it's uh, they're both this fair trading and uh, there was a kind of American first element on the immigration stuff. Now, the, the one issue where uh, I think is perhaps most troubling to me and perhaps to you, this is an area of your specialty, and that's the restriction of political speech. Yeah, they're uh, both. They're, <laughs> they both sort of poo-poo this notion that uh, groups of people who gather together and spend money advocating on behalf of ideas is not really First Amendment protected. Oh, you mean the, the elites that are destroying the country. Uh, the, yeah, I mean... Look, they're both populist, and I think Donald Trump's the, the, the striking thing about him was the breakthrough of populism, and he, 
Um, I, th- I expect we will see from President Trump a return to these issues and maybe even, uh, we hope not, but maybe even some triangulation that could cause uh, serious problems with legislation because he likes the issue. And it also, remember, for those advocates, and there are reasonable people that are against me on this issue, but this is a no. Why would Donald Trump return to this? The disturbing thing is that this notion of there's somebody causing the problems and they're engaging in free speech and political participation is a bad kind of thing in a republic, in a liberal republic, a liberal democracy. But that's what he'll be coming back to. It'll be this who's to blame for the problems. Well, it's it's interesting to me to that uh, you know the, we, there was this women's march in Washington D.C. that was opposed to uh, Donald Trump for a, a whole host of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one where they probably don't find uh, a particularly strong opposition is the idea that. Groups of people spending money to advocate on behalf of political ideas uh, should be strictly regulated, if not in some cases outright prohibited. And yes, uh, here's my guess on that. And I had some conversations this weekend with a person attending the march, and I spoke to her about the entitlement program and other things. It's just it doesn't get through, even if the on these issues of money and politics and contributions and Citizens United. Even when Donald Trump's language and positions are the same, he's not, he, he's not going to find, I think, support on the other side because they – he, I think in part because he is a symbol of what the campaign finance reformer doesn't like, a rich man in politics who it happens has this point of view. But they are going to say, oh, he's not really for it and so on. In fact, I have made the argument that, and believe me, it causes a lot of cognitive dissonance that Donald Trump was a can- and is a campaign finance reformer. Um, that's just too weird for the people. But I think we'll see it and it is a concern. But it seems totally obvious that he is. I mean, just from his basic sort of uh, stance with respect to media outlets, ones that you and I fear would be uh, targeted mm-hmm. eventually mm-hmm. by certain campaign finance reforms. Mm-hmm. He's openly hostile to those groups. And it seems if you were going to go after elite media, mm-hmm. dishonest media, to use his words, mm-hmm. that campaign finance reform might be a really good way to do that. Yep. And um, also a popular way. In other words, he can play it that way and, and it's a, the elites are against me, all those kinds of things. The other thing we have to remember is he, in many respects, uh, he, he sort of cuts against it because he didn't raise a lot of money. He got a lot of free media for his, his campaign. But that means he has a particular kind. It is a little bit like the arguments we used to make about Bruce Springsteen. How much is a Bruce Springsteen endorsement to point out that celebrity would replace uh, the area where campaign finance restrictions uh, created? Donald Trump is the ultimate version of that. If he controls spending by others who aren't as good on TV, don't attract attention, that creates advantages for him. So I'm afraid we're talking ourselves into a sense here that um, he's inevitably going to come around to these issues, and he might be joined by uh, Senator Sanders. It's hard to say. As long as Senator McConnell is there, though, I think we probably have reason to think not much will happen. 
John Samples is a vice president at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.